Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. I'm Kim Naoni, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship and advancement. Today, I'm honored to uh, feature and have a conversation with my good friend, Dr. Michael Bonnet, uh, Vice President for Advancement at University of Lynchburg, straight out of Lynchburg, Virginia. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine, Kim. Really great to to, to be on the podcast with you, and uh, and nice to hear your voice again because we spent a lot of spent some time together over the years, but it's been a little while to to spend a little time together. So yeah, absolutely. We need to get uh, Tim Team ninety ten IEM to get back together. You know, it's been a while. Yeah, that would be a great time. We 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 had a good experience up at Harvard a few years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I still think of Jim Honan every time I try to make a point. Go <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get after this. Um, after a six year stint in business, you started your advancement journey in your home state of South Carolina at Clemson University. You then spent five years there and three, then three years over Southern Mississippi. And after spending eight years over at those two institutions, though are much larger, you made a decision to move to a smaller school first at the University of South Carolina, Beaufort, and then followed by University of Lynchburg in Virginia, where you currently are. So I'm curious, talk to us about that journey and what informed your decision to build a career that is focused on advancing small colleges. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk a little history for a sec, if you, if you don't mind. So the, Absolutely. Uh, go ahead. Sure. I had the experience of, of being the grad assistant in the foundation at Clemson when I was doing my master's. And, uh, you know, as an agriculture major and then a master's in human resource development. Um, and, and for those of us who are in fundraising, we never go to school thinking we're going to be a fundraiser. But you have that experience somewhere along the way that that kind of trips the trigger. Right. So uh, so after graduate school, I spent six years in the agricultural chemical industry doing database marketing and rebate fulfillment work. And interestingly enough, I learned enough Salesforce management in that that. Uh, that, that has helped me in my career along the way, and I'll get get to that in a minute. But uh, the opportunity to come back to Clemson in 05 and work in alumni relations, doing marketing communications work, which was kind of a, a tie-in with all of my experiences there. And then, um, then on to uh, feet on the ground fundraising and uh, kind of in the beginning of the what eventually became the billion dollar campaign at Clemson mm-hmm. uh, learned a lot of a lot of a lot of things that then took me to the University of Southern Mississippi and uh, and frankly when they were looking at at Southern Miss to to bring somebody on to manage their fundraising operation uh, I had enough knowledge from my years at Clemson but they really hearkened back to my time in in business mm-hmm. uh, Salesforce management sales team management and those kind of things really were was uh, was what they were looking for so uh, I was able to kind of bring those skill sets plus what I learned at Clemson and alumni and fundraising down to Southern Miss and kind of helped them rebuild their program there and successfully raised enough money to build them a new business building and had great experience with um, with their folks down there. Uh, I was trying to work on my doctorate and 
it's all right. I've got to get back to South Carolina with little ones and all those things to, to try to try to finish up my doctorate, which I was working on at Clemson. Had a chance to come to USC Buford, which was uh, very small, NAI, a system campus of the University of South Carolina. So mm-hmm. 1,400, 1,500 students and uh, and kind of come in as their associate vice chancellor for advancement and kind of help them rebuild a few things down there as well. Three years of, of a really great experience, not a lot of time on the road. Uh, small alumni base, all those things. Uh, but I think that's really where I understood I had a heart and a passion for the smaller school experience. Um, the fact that I went to the cafeteria every day and the students that I passed every day knew who I was. Hey, that's the ABC, right? You know, the guy that, yeah. that helps, us, helps us get scholarships and those kind of things. Really kind of like, you know, as again, it kind of tripped the trigger for me that, you know, man, I, you know, I could do this at, at a big place and, and uh, and make great impact but the the folks that i'm interacting with on the day-to-day basis here on a small campus they really understand what impact it's making right mm-hmm. and uh you know and it just had that kind of relationship with not only the students but the faculty and, and everybody around I, I i knew who they were we were all there as a family together and uh but what i was missing at usc buford was not having graduate level programs and uh, because I have a, a PhD or because I was finishing up my PhD, I wanted to teach a little bit. So I had, you know, and uh, so I started looking. And once I finished a doctorate, that's when the recruiters started calling. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so a couple of opportunities ended up here at the University of Lynchburg, which has, uh, is a very, very special place here in central Virginia. Uh the, the words we use are putting uh, our passion into purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I absolutely believe that's what I get to do every day here at Lynchburg. And, you know, all of our alumni tell us that it's the one step on campus that really makes the difference. Well, it was the same for me on interview day. And uh, so this is uh, now six and a half years in here at University of Lynchburg. And uh, I'll, I'll not leave unless they unless they need me, unless they ask me to. So. But we're showing a lot of success here and it, it's been really great because not only do we have grad master's level programs, we also have a couple of doctoral programs, uh, two in the health sciences, one in the, one EDD program and uh, master's level in nonprofit leadership. And I'm actually able to teach grant writing and fundraising in the uh, in this. So I'm getting a little use out of my Ph.D., Get a lot of interaction with students. I eat in the cafeteria, which is right next to where my office is most days when I'm on campus and the students know me and I get to know them. And uh, like I said, I bring in a scholarship, you know, from a donor and uh, I'm able to to sit down at lunch with a student and say, hey, guess what I did last week? Yeah. You know? And they say, how about that? You know, really cool. <laughs> you know. You know that's uh, I mean to me uh, that that that's really uh, you 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 make you make a critical point there that that personable aspect of what we do. I mean, I I've been uh, and you and I've talked about this before. I've looked at going to uh, you know small colleges and I've been to those campuses. And one of those things that really stood out to me was the fact that the president, the students knew the president and the vice president, anybody who worked there, they all knew each other, right. and they all had this sense of ownership that this is our university and we're glad that you're part of this community and. It was a really eye opener for me because I spent almost my entire career at really, really large institutions where I could walk to the cafeteria. Nobody would even know me from Johnson. They'd be like, hey, you know, that a nice suit. Usually they'll say, hey, 
hey, Mr. Knox Bowtie. And I said, okay, Hi. thank you. But that's about it. There's no, it's such a huge behemoth. I mean, the only thing I can compare to is uh, one of the uh, academic units. So let's say somebody's working in the College of the Arts and they have, you know, a small community within the college, but still you are a part of this large institution. It's not ingrained in folks to think about, hey, this is part of the, of the family. We're all together. So it's interesting. And uh, it kind of leads me to my, uh, you know, my other thought that I have, you know, you worked at, at Clemson and now you're in Lynchburg, big, small. What do you see are the key levers that make advancement work as small colleges appealing? It, there, there's a couple, um, and I'll, I'll I'll start with an example, and, and I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's Malcolm Gladwell that did a podcast not long ago, and my measly $2 million or something <laughs> like that. You may have heard it. and uh, But uh, the guy, I think he was a, a Princeton grad or Yale, and he had $2 million, and somehow or another he connected with a small community college and changed their world by putting $2 million into their engineering program. So, you know, the uh, the impact, the transformational impact of a, mi a million dollar gift at an institution like Lynchburg by comparison to a school like Clemson is, you know, it's the much larger, right? So yeah. I think for me is that, you know, I, I can do transformational things much more often mm -hmm. <laughs> at a Lynchburg, you know, and, and, and see that impact nearly directly. Like, you know, as soon as that money shows up in the bank and we've got access to it, it can go directly into a program. Not a lot of, and, and that may be the difference between the private school and the public school, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's immediate impact, right. On the things that are, that are happening. So to me, that that's, I mean, I love that aspect of the private school and the small school that, uh, you know, we're, we're making that immediate impact and, uh, and changing lives every day. It, it changes lives in the big schools too. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. but it's, it's just, I can see it on the ground nearly every day when I'm walking around campus right now. And that's a, that's a really fulfilling way to, for me to think about it. Um, so, so fulfilling for sure. Um, and utilizing our faculty and staff because of the relationships I have in a different way in our interaction with our alumni and friends. Uh, we're doing a lot of work in the community right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so trying to do some work to uh, understand the impact of the nonprofit, local nonprofit scene, you know, we, we say, all right, we've got some expertise in our faculty here. Um, how do they lean in and help us, you know, kind of look at the impact that the nonprofits are making? You know, 80 faculty members show up and say, I'll do that research. Oh, really? To help help the, the local community figure out how to utilize resources better. So, you know, it's not just advancement for the sake of, of bringing in dollars to the institution. It's advancement for the sake of making the community better. And uh, I mean, every school has an impact on its local community, mm -hmm. some because of the dollars that come in for football games and those kind of things yeah, yeah. or the relationship they have to the community. And I think what we have, you know, at our school is right now is uh, is is pretty unique in how we're, we're engaging and connecting and really making an impact in our local community, uh, not just on economy, but in life. No, I I really like that. I, you know, perhaps you can you can give me one example of a project that you you've done with your faculty in collaboration with your faculty in the community, because that's not something that you see, uh, you know, widely out there. I mean, I, as a matter of fact, I can I can't think of one place I've been part of where 
you'll hear faculty and advancement reaching out to the community and working to help out the nonprofits or the public sector in general, figure things out, whether that is in strategy and grant making, whatever. I mean, we may do that from an economic development perspective, working with the local chambers, but not from that perspective. And I think that's really powerful. Perhaps you can share an example of this. Sure. One of the, the the most recent ones was, you know, there are five or six local nonprofits who all work on food insecurity within the community, right? Mm-hmm. And so having some faculty go in there, take a look at who was being served by that, they determined that, okay, three of these organizations are serving the same folks, just different times of the day. So how do we more effectively affect change within that population that needs the food by being better utilization better utilizing the resources that are made available from philanthropic standpoint in the community well that's building partnerships with us that then connects us to other donors and other possibilities but also having a real impact in the community on utilization of resources so Mm -hmm. it it just like a lot of small towns you know we're we're seventy five thousand in our metropolitan area here Mm -hmm. um you know, you've got uh, you've got a pretty good dichotomy of, of of what's going on in the community, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, you know, a lot of folks who want to try to help, but not a lot of focus on where that help's going or how it's really being used. Because every organization's got its own, got its mission and 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 its focus. Well, let's think think across those as. Our president says foci. That's the correct way. It's right mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, to then. Um, to then figure out how we better utilize those resources and we make a greater impact that way. Right. So our faculty are stepping in and doing that kind of work, which then, as you said, or as I said, builds relationships for us, not only in the community, but with the corporate funders and those kind of things that then want to be more engaged in some of the things we're doing in the community as well. Yeah. You know, I would like to think that it also sends a very strong message to the community at large that you're not just the, the ivory tower over there, that's too good to be part of the community because I think some of the uh, misconceptions or misunderstandings that I've experienced over the years is the fa- is the disconnect between the uh, campus and the community it resides in. Right? It's almost like you got your own little insular city. But the ones that I've seen that do really well are the ones that are fully integrated with the community, helping to solve and tackle the issues that affect uh, the community. Whether it's that healthcare disparities, whether it's food insecurity, what have you. When people see you have the skin in the game and you actually are there for the community, it, it right. leads to uh, to uh, to amazing things happening and partnerships that you would not even expect. I mean, the, right. you know, there could be a time when uh, company X is having conversations with the local community about setting shop and you get a call from the from the, from the local leaders to say we want you to be part of this not just from an economic uh, development perspective but because they understand that the leadership and who you are as an institution is all about the community at large and so that makes things very very interesting well if i take it back to an advancement fundraising standpoint i mean that's relationship building 101 right amen and and you know as I said the the opportunity then for building on that relationship that then increases our opportunity as an institution to really come in like to really have an impact that's the partnership that we can build that then supports institutional efforts mm-hmm. with philanthropic giving right so oh yeah oh yeah I mean if I come and open a manufacturing uh, plant uh, uh, in, in in the county that does really well. Guess what? I'm go- I'm going to need to hire people, and uh, who uh, is educating those folks? 
It's the universe in the community. And then once I do that, I see the value. Uh, philanthropy comes. I mean, we know this, right? We, I'm preaching the choir. We know, we know right. how, how that goes down. So what have been the most satisfying moments uh, in your career at Lynchburg? And it's, it's been, it's been a ride for sure. So when I was brought in six and a half years ago, it was to kind of rebuild an operation that had, was a little stagnant. And uh, it's the third time in my career I'd come to a place to, to kind of rebuild uh, I'm hoping it's the last one for a bit, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't blame you on that one. <laughs> right. But uh, I, I'd say that the thing that I'm most proud of, and when I got here, we did a feasibility study and and the results were not good. And, and I, you know, and uh, it was interesting because it was right after I got here, I said, all right, who are the folks we need to interview? They said, here's the 40 names that, that, that we should use. Um, those 40 names had been around for a really, really long time. And the results of the feasibility were not good, right? So, I mean, these are these are folks that were kind of worn out on being in, always being the ones to get asked. And you know, there's there's a lot of schools that end up in that place, right? And uh, so, maybe three years later, after a whole lot of reworking and rebuilding and, and rethinking how we did advancement, kind of taking it from a very old, uh, you know, hey, we need you to give money for a building to, hey, what would you like to give money for mm-hmm. conversation? So the the, the, the institution-centered to a donor-centered approach, right? Yeah. Uh, we did another feasibility study and came back with um, significantly better results. And it was because 20 to 25 of the folks that were in the interview process were folks that had not shown up on anybody's radar because we spent three years doing discovery work the way we were supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. So engaging more folks in the life of the institution, giving them a reason to want to be connected to us, not always making it absolutely about the biggest money ask we could get or asking them again for the next thing uh, really changed the game for us. Had even had we not gotten back, hey, we're better off than we were three years ago from the perspective of the dollars we could raise, just the fact that there were 25 new people in the mix was something for me to be proud of as a as a leader in advancement, right? It's a win. It's a win. You, yeah. t- you take the wins. Right, right. So, I mean, and that will change the game for the institution for, for many, many years. So, uh, and and got a new president that came in two years ago, uh, right in the middle, right at the beginning of COVID. And uh, and thankfully, we, we, we changed the game and put her in front of 1,400 donors virtually mm-hmm. in her first year, year and a half. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really proud of my folks because they switched on a dime like a lot of us had to do. Right. Yeah, we had to. And, uh, it, it, was and, a, it was a strange reality. <laughs> right. And uh, and we were able to do that. And the message she's sharing is so institution uh, institution driven, but so inclusive in the world uh, right now that the folks are really kind of kind of jumping on and saying, hey, we, we're, we're excited about what we're hearing. Good things happening there. Mm-hmm. She's offering them the opportunity to engage how they want to be engaged, where they want to be engaged. We know that provides the support we need philanthropically over time. It's amazing to me how this seems like a novelty, you know, almost right. to, to uh, you know, to kind of go back to the elections uh, the other day, uh, you know, Dr. Oz loses and he, uh, he uh, phones his opponent and says, uh, congratulations. And he issues a statement and said, hey. I got beat and people are saying, 
wait, what? As if that was a, as if that was a surprise. Why would you do that? I said, well, you, that's what you do. Right. I mean, you know, uh, when Tennessee got beat the other day, you know, you didn't hear, you know, Josh trying to find, uh, excuse this and that or whatever. Hey, we got beat. We didn't execute. It's that simple. And, uh, and so when I think about, uh, being donor centric, right, what you're talking about is a, is a, is a leader who's donor centric that understands it's not about me. It's about something bigger than me. Right. And so I may have my needs. I may have my desires. But if I show up with a, hand, you know, with, with my uh, my arm extended, you know, palm up, hey, uh, uh, you know, I need a million dollars. It's really not going to work because people don't know you. They don't know right. your vision. They want to hear more. What do you plan to do with our institution? And how do you connect in a way that is meaningful to us? I was having a conversation with an entrepreneur earlier, and he talks about, you know, when I have a DOO and they come and visit with me. And they talk, they talk about the ROI, the value proposition. We're looking to establish program X that is going to impact this student population. And here is the outcome. Here's the data that proves that we, we know what we're doing and we're going to get this. It, to me, that's, that's music to my ear. I'm in tech, okay? I want to know what's the ROI. Is this thing really going to move the needle? Or am I just going to be spinning my wheels and you guys, are, uh, you know, I'm going to give uh, money to a money pit. So I really, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, that that's what that's how it should be. Right. You know, that's how it should be. Well, and and I'll I'll talk a little bit about an operational piece that if if we've got an extra minute here. Oh yeah, absolutely. We got we got time. It's that too. It's um, what I'm working really hard to create right now is a bossless society within the advancement office, mm-hmm. right? And what do you mean by that? I mean that. There are a couple, there are some reporting structures that we have to do because we have to administrate for the institution. Mm-hmm. But within the team, everybody has their responsibilities, but it's that last bullet point on the job description that is the most important, right? That other mm-hmm. duties as a side thing. Yep. And it's never about directing someone else to do something you need them to do. It's about being the, it's again, it's that relational piece of our interaction that gets us to the most successful point we can get to. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that has been kind of a leadership strategy for me over time to build up, build out these operations where folks understand their role and responsibility, but they also understand their responsibility to everyone else. Mm-hmm. So they may have responsibility for a certain thing within the operation, but there is a responsibility to advancement, at large to move the organization forward, which then helps the institution move forward. And uh, that's that's been really special to see happen over, I'd say particularly COVID, but you know, just like every other small school in the world that, I mean, we're 1800 students and, and about 1,900 grad students or so, you know, but um, you know, everybody's dealing with enrollment issues these days and all those things. So not only are we thinking about how we advance our operation for fundraising, but we're thinking about how we advance the institution for recruiting. We're looking for students, right? How can we utilize resources from the advancement team to better support and better be a partner across campus? That all starts on the team, right? And how Mm -hmm. they're functioning with one another, which then takes the larger approach to how we're supporting the institution. And I think 
I don't know that that is an advantage or a, a more significant opportunity within the smaller schools, but it sure is easier when we have to look the folks in the eye that are doing that stuff every day, right? No, I, 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 I'll tell you that it's much easier to be done in a small institution. I mean, I can tell you, I can give you examples. One institution, which uh, unfortunately we, you know, I got an offer to go, uh, you know, become the vice president there at the end. Uh, it wasn't going to be a, a work workable for personal reasons. I just couldn't move across the country at that time. But one of the things that was drastically different when I went there was the fact that the entire advancement team was maybe 30 people. That I mean, from Marcom to alumni to everything to research. And they're all in one building. And they all, I mean, it's pretty much offices next to each other. And so from that perspective, if I needed to make a change, the president said, hey, that's your that's your family. You you guys work it out. And if I needed uh, to have a conversation about resources, you know, provost is next door building. I can go there, you know, just say, hey, John, you have a minute. Yeah, let's talk. And you did not have 10 handlers or, right. you know, all the multiple layers uh, to to move a needle. Whereas as I was contrasting that with a previous place that I was part of, that was much, much larger I mean, to reclassify one role took, you know, five different steps and four different approval levels. And then how does this match with that? And it just was, uh, you know, from a managerial perspective, it was it was very refreshing <laughs> to see that these people can make it. Even the president said, hey, if I need something done, I just I, I just make we make it happen. What, well, what problem do you have? That was the experience I had in the small business world before going to 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 higher ed was, you know, I and mean, there were 60 of us in the office and both both owners were there. And if I could come up with a 15 minute sales pitch and it made money for the company, all I had to do was walk down there and say, all right, here's what we'd like to do. And they would say yes or no. Right. I mean, yeah. I had lunch today in the cafeteria with the VP for enrollment marketing communications and the VP for student development. Uh, the provost walked in, sat down with us for a few minutes. And if the president was on campus today, likely she would have walked in the door and sat down with us too. And it would have been, we'd have accomplished something before we walked out of there 20 minutes later. And, uh, that is a, that is a really, uh, really cool way to, to, uh, to be able to interact on the things we need to be doing right now, especially when you need to decisions need to maybe be made quickly. Right. Yeah, you know, as I, as I like to say, you know, we live in a microwave society, one tweet away, so we can't take a a, a slow cooker uh, approach, you know what I mean, to try to get to something. So uh, that leads me, we, we've kind of alluded to this here in our conversation, but that leads me to my my next uh, question I wanted, I wanted to touch base with you. Uh, what opportunities do you see for advancement professionals to grow their careers in small colleges? We've talked about some some few key things, you know, the ability to be able to assume uh, leadership roles and and basically wear many hats, which people may think, oh, why would I want to do that? Trust you, me. Right. It's to your benefit if you have put your hand in many cookie jars to uh, you know you know to to learn. Uh, it, it is going to help you. So uh, that's one thing that you know that we've talked about in the lack of. Uh, Let's listen. Let's not say lack, but less bureaucratic things uh, that you got to deal with. Yeah, um, there there is less bureaucracy for sure. I've had my hand smacked a few times by grandma. Would put my hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> that goes. But um, 
the the word that came to mind when you were saying that was utility player right so yes. and and just in in the recent couple of months we're looking at a, a little bit of restructuring on our operation and i've got two or three folks that are really utility players within mas mm-hmm. right as I, as i told them the other day in our staffing i said all right the top three things on your job description are your absolutes the next three or four things are going to be your secondary responsibilities. I said, but it's that last one. <laughs> like I said before, it's that last one that that where I really need you to be the best team player you can be. And unless we're cross training correctly, or yeah, I mean, we're fourteen people now within the advancement operation at Lynchburg, and that that covers our engagement activities like alumni relations, donor relations, communications. It has you know our major gifts team and fundraising grants. And then I kind of our back end advancement services stuff, check, check processing and those things. So, you know, there's no opportunity for a lot of a lot of slack, right? No. And uh, but we're accomplishing things. We've raised a million dollars growth each year for the last three years for the institution because of the way we're approaching the relationship piece. Back end process is back in process, right? Mm-hmm. Relationships is what brings the dollars in. But having folks who can step into other people's work when it's necessary is is absolutely approached documentation process all the stuff administration is the thing that always comes through that people want to push to the side and it's so frustrating to have to do but you have to do it the two most important things we can do in leadership in my mind is enable folks to step into new things when they need to step into new things and that means mm-hmm. giving them all the training and the cross training and the stuff they have to do and then adapting to change when it happens right mm-hmm. so you know all right here's here's our next opportunity how do we take what we're doing now and jump into that because it is an opportunity and we need to be able to to go do it right mm-hmm. so um i'd say one of the biggest barriers to that is ego Absolutely. Especially within a, a small team or in the leader. I mean, the VP who's sitting there. If, my, if I had an ego the size of Texas, I would not be able to get these folks to come on and go where we need to go. And, and also, you would not, if I may interject, I mean, if you had that ego, you would not talk about, uh, you know, uh, what you talked about earlier in terms of democratizing the leadership, in terms of empowering others, because, you know, you and I have uh, have probably come across people uh, in our industry where it's, it's the me show, you know, it's the me show. I do everything and they kind of stifle the growth of their team members. Right. And then they wonder why people leave. People are leaving left and right. Oh, well, oh no, they, they just couldn't cut it here. Say, no, man, they, they, it's not about them not being able to cut it there. It's because you're sucking all the oxygen out of the room. So <laughs> why, right. why should, why should somebody be in that room? You know what I mean? Well, and and I've said to my folks, I said, if there's any bosses in this room, there's 13 of y'all who are my boss, mm-hmm. because my job is to make sure you have the resources to do everything that you can do for the success of the operation, because then everything I do is okay, right? Mm-hmm. And I, the old joke I tell us, I said, your job is to keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. And Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but But that means me getting out of the way, right? You, know? you got to get out of the way. You know, yeah. you, you got to get out of the way. So what would your advice be for someone who wants to grow in their career? We've, we've touched on this, maybe you can elaborate a little bit. Yeah. Uh, wh- you know, whether that is becoming a leader, they want to become a vice president like you one day, or maybe they just want to have a, a, a solid uh, mission-driven, fulfilled career. 
but you know they're being lured by i can go to university x they got a great football program big campus big time but well maybe i can go to uh Esuani, uh, one of these is kind of you know schools that are smaller more intimate just like lynchburg i mean well right. you know somebody's that is that is at that uh crossroad what, what would you advise them yeah so i mean my mind is what's your passion right mm-hmm. what's your passion is your passion being the biggest fish you can be in the biggest pond or is it i mean to, to be very cliche sorry um to, or be a big fish in a little pond, or just be the best fish you can be in the place where you are, right? I mean, you know, it's not about mm-hmm. big or little, it's just about showing showing up the way you want to show up and everybody being okay with that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that that's kind of kind of where I got to. I was like, I can make an impact as a leader in the ways that I want to impact something as a leader. I mean, here are my principles as a leader and you know looking always to find the emerging leaders within the team mm-hmm. giving them the opportunity to lean into that when they're ready to do it and how they do it uh being uh nimble enough in the organizational structure to be able to do that so that was kind of what drove me to look at a school like lynchburg to say all right here i can have an impact here i have a president who is saying mike this is your ship to run Mm-hmm. You don't have to. You you make sure you're 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 not overspending. Make sure you're bringing in money. I mean, here there's a couple of ground rules, but yeah. it's yours to it's yours to structure. And uh, and that for me was something I could get. You know, at 40, 42 years old, and uh, I guess it was forty two. Yeah, forty two to yeah. come to, to Lynchburg and do what I'm doing now. And you know, I, I would not have had that opportunity at a larger place. I've been able to structure my operation now so people feel like they can step into a leadership role or step back out of it when they mm-hmm. need, you know, and, and that's been a really nice place for me. So I think being willing to, to to step out when you need to, but also not having so much ego that you can't step back into something less if it's not necessary at that point. Mm-hmm. And that means just being a good team player, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that to, I mean, that's the folks I look for. I can teach somebody about fundraising and higher education. Can't teach them a lot of times about what being a good team player is all about. Mm-hmm. So to me, big or small, the best thing you can be is a good team member. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so so there's that. And then, you know, uh, there's always opportunity for upward growth if you're willing to move. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it's more difficult if you're not willing to move. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you're talking to a guy who's moved uh, seven different times. It ain't it ain't yeah. pretty, but it's necessary. Sometimes right. it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, to to your to the point that you've been making, though, you know, I've challenged uh, you know folks uh, in our industry to really think about succession planning and creating those opportunities for growth w- from within. And I think in a in an environment that you're in, in a you know in a smaller college. You have more opportunity to be able to, to tinker with the structure, right. you know, more so than one can in a much larger, uh, you know, institutions where you know there there's systems uh, for everything, right? Especially so that, especially public, right? Yeah. It's oh yeah. Public, not only are you dealing with your your systems across the institution, but you're dealing with state governmental systems and all of the other pieces that that is one beautiful thing about private higher education is we get the, we get to I mean, we still have to 
deal with all the legal issues and all the stuff. Yeah. But it's a, it's a little easier to move when you need to move, right? Yeah. No, it's uh, the, it, it's it's interesting. So I think uh, you know, uh, the 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 point, the takeaway there again is what's your mission and passion, as you talked about in our field. Everything that we do is about is about that. I mean, when I think of opportunities, I think about does that place speak to me? When I go to a campus, do I feel do I feel it? You know, you walk in a place, you yeah, feel right. it. Yeah. You know, I I tell people if they, if they've never been to Notre Dame. When you're walking to the library and uh, you see Touchdown Jesus, I mean, I don't care what denomination you're in, <laughs> right. but that moves you. You're like, okay, I can feel that the, the vibe of being at this campus. And I think that's important from, you know, from a personal perspective, but more importantly, if you're at a place and you don't believe in what they stand for, maybe you're, you're all about access and uh, socioeconomic and uh, the status, uh, you know, and upward mobility of underrepresented, uh, you know, folks, and you're in a place that doesn't care about that, you're going to be miserable. And there's way too many institutions out there, uh, for you to be miserable and just stay in, you know what I mean? That's right. Well, and that was one of, one of my reasons for, for leaving business. I mean, I, I got to the point where, yeah, I do what everybody does, right? Every year you kind of take stock of where you are and what do you, you know, what what's your life going to be? And and every year it was that time, man, I want to go back and work on my doctorate, right? And mm-hmm. and it wasn't for any at that point, it really wasn't any more reason because I, I wanted to, right? I wanted that for me because that's what that was a passion of mine for education. And you know, thankfully I had the opportunity to go back, but I got to the point where and I could keep putting money in the bank for these guys. And and making plenty of money and doing fine and providing for my family and doing all that stuff. Now I get to put money in the bank, put it, put money into life, right? Mm-hmm. So again, it's that passion. I can do that at a big school or a small school, mm-hmm. but I see the impact of that more in what I do every day at a small school. And that's really mm-hmm. what drives me. So so as we uh wind down here. Uh, let's, uh, let's do some forecasting here as you, you, you think of the, uh, small colleges over the years, uh, there's, unfortunately there's been uh, a number that have, you know, gone under because enrollment, uh, has gone down. And for those who don't realize, you know, a lot of the small colleges are not research institutions, you know, they offer graduate programs, but primarily these are undergraduate teaching sure. student focused, uh, institutions. Uh, so there's been some challenges, but also there's been some, you know, amazing stories of resilience, like Sweetbriar College and how they're able to. Just down the road yeah. And many others, you know, that 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 have figured out the way around that and uh, and just pivot and have strongly positioned themselves for success. So when you think of advancement, uh, the future of advancement, what does that look like? Uh, I. I was thinking about that because you, you shared the question with me earlier there. Uh, and I'll give a specific example for us right now. So much like every other school like us, we're, we're, we're looking at the enrollment numbers and the cliffs coming in the next couple of years. That's going to affect all of us. I think our opportunity and advancement is to become the best partner we can be with the recruiting folks on campus. So, you know, making sure that we're utilizing all of our external groups like alumni and friends and parents and corporate connections and all those other things to make sure we're getting our name into the school systems, wherever they are, Mm -hmm. Uh, you better utilizing resources like right now. 
when our recruiting folks are spending time in Texas, I'm actually giving them three or four donors they can talk to down there. Donors mm. love it because they're coming down to talk to them about something other than money, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're coming to talk to them about the school and the place they love and, you know, handing them some information that they can run off to their child or grandchild that's off in a high school in Texas. Or when I'm riding through Connecticut with the president and I know we're going by private school X, you know, up in Darien, we drop off, uh, drop off information and shoot mm-hmm. if the president's with me and they walk in and get the minute, get a minute to talk to the headmaster. That's making a difference, right? It so is better utilization of resources, but again, being the best partner we can be. So just busting down those silos, man, of things, even at small schools, right. To, yeah. uh, to, to, to utilize resources in the best way, make sure we're all sharing the same message and being the best partner. That, uh, that is possible. So I think that is where we have to go as an advancement team because every bit of that engagement opportunity results in philanthropic support for the institution. To take us back to uh, Cambridge, uh, it's what we called cylinders of excellence. At an institution, there are many cylinders of excellence. <laughs> right. And yeah, sometimes they, they each does. don't they, they don't speak to one another. So how yeah. do we bridge that gap with the cylinders of excellence? Right. I I I don't know. I don't know how many times I tell folks whether you work in housing, you work in food services, you do whatever, HR, we all we all do HR. I do talent management. Guess what? I find somebody who I think is good, I refer them to somebody. Sure. And you as uh, somebody who works in housing, if a student has a bad experience that you can't mitigate, guess what? Their family's not going to be very happy. If they're not going to be happy, there you go. I mean, so we all uh, you know, we we all have a role to play here and I really think that the advantage uh uh, of being in your situation in an institution like you do, where even though you have all those different cylinders of excellence, the the line between them is not that long. You know, it's, uh, it's sort of like, you know, you're closer. So how do we create a win-win? And there's willingness to have that open discussion about how can you help me help you? The cylinder wall is not quite as thick. Exactly. Right. It's not, it's not, it's not cast iron thick here. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and that is, that is a beautiful thing about, about the size school we are, but it's also uh, the absolute reason why we can't have those walls, right? Mm-hmm. Because we are so small and every dollar counts, whether, no matter where, what revenue source is coming from, we're not on the same team. We can forget about the future, but thankfully we're, uh, we're, we're moving forward. So that's good. That is excellent. So, Mike, we've come to the end. Take us home. Go. Watch somebody come and work at a small college. Impact. The impact I make in this world, even though it's a smaller world than some, is uh, is the most fulfilling thing that is for me in what I do. And, uh, you know, I can uh, I can make small impact at big places or I can make big impact at small places. I'd rather do it. Do the second one. So. As we talked about, uh, this episode is small in size, big in impact, advancing small colleges. Mike, it's been a pleasure. This is Mentorship Matters. Thank you. Mentorship Matters, Evertrue Studios. Thank you. See you all soon. 